Please, if you will, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Continuing a little mini-series, if you will, of how each of the gospel writers introduce us to Jesus Christ. And uh, we've looked at Matthew chapter 1 and Mark chapter 1, and we're looking at Luke chapter 2, because Luke in chapter 1 prepares us for the birth of Christ, but it's in chapter 2 that he introduces us to this Savior who is born. And in light of that, we need to ask, what happened some 2,000 years ago on the day Jesus was born? This was a historical event. We don't know for sure when it took place, except that it was roughly 2,000 years ago. And Luke's account is probably the most famous of the accounts of the birth of Christ. I mentioned in the family worship guide for this coming week as we review uh, today that in my boyhood, the Indianapolis Star, the major newspaper in Indianapolis, published Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 on the front page on the 25th of December every year. And then that other great theological work, Charlie Brown Christmas, <laughs> Linus read much of Luke chapter 2, those same verses as that showed each year. It's certainly less known today, but then and now is it not only known, but believed that a Savior was born, who is Christ the Lord. Listen as I read Luke's account. I'll read all of Luke chapter 2. Hear this. It is the very word of God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered about what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your, servant, your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of, Israel, of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ending, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Now he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Having heard from God in his word, please join me in your hearts as I lead us in prayer. Father, as we come to your word, we do want to hear from you. May it be that the preacher is not the word heard, but actually the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus, as he speaks through his word to us. Open our eyes that we might behold from your word wonderful things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A Savior was born for you, was announced on this day some 2,000 years ago. And we're told that this news was good, was good news of great joy. Not good, good news of the gospel or good news of the good news, but good news of great joy. And the good news was that there was a way of peace and favor from God. You see, we're hostile to God from the moment we're born, really from the moment we're conceived. 
but there was announced on that day a Savior who is Christ the Lord, true hope for eternity for all who would repent and believe the gospel. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus became flesh so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of sin, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Now, you probably know people who are not Christians who would say, I'm not afraid of death. And yet God tells us that they are. I was reading a fiction book, and I was struck you never know what authors are trying to communicate in fiction books, but I was struck with this account. Two men together at the event of the death of the second at Sheffield. Let me just read this paragraph. Ah, Nathaniel, Sheffield had said in a voice weighed down by alcohol and sorrow as he stared at the warm amber liquid in his snifter. We may grieve. We may feel the loss the emptiness left behind, but we mustn't fear death. Arkin sat quietly watching and listening. There's no reason to. Oblivion holds no pain, no suffering. But his voice cracked as he said this, leaving Arkin to wonder whether he, was, whether he truly believed the things he was saying or was just trying to convince himself. We mustn't fear. It's our only hope, he added taking a sip of his cognac as his face seemed to harden just perceptibly. He shook his head slowly. So much fear. I don't know what the author of this fiction book was trying to communicate, but I believe he communicated the heart of many who don't know Christ, who would say, I don't fear death, and live trying to convince themselves of that instead. We offer them Christ. We offer them good news of great joy. We offer them a Savior, Christ the Lord. So who needs a Savior? What I'd like to do is consider the characters in this account, this true historical account. Luke introduces in chapter 1 that the history that he sought carefully to examine and to write down. And so in this historical account... Let's consider who needs a Savior as we look at the characters in this account. We see in verses 1 and 2, who needs a Savior? Governors and kings. Governors and kings. Luke reminds us that this was a real event that truly took place in time and history. Caesar Augustus, the first of the Caesars to have the title Augustus. I thought it had something to do with August, but it means holy or reverend. And he was renowned as a god and a savior. He was the grand nephew of Julius Caesar, and he ruled as emperor of Rome and of the world. And yet the true eternal God came to give eternal life to any governors and kings who will repent and believe. During the time of my first pastorate in Evansville, Indiana, we got to meet uh, a Christian man who was running for political office, John Hostetler. He served several terms as, uh, uh, in the House of Representatives for Indiana. We did a little bit of campaign work it, with him. We enjoyed getting to know him. And I made the mistake of wearing 
his T-shirt to uh, a, a, a volleyball game that I played with a group of guys. And a man also named Ed, who I was becoming good friends with, said, I almost decided I couldn't be your friend because you were wearing that shirt. I was surprised that anyone wouldn't like my friend John Hostetler, but my friend Ed didn't like him because he was a Republican. But I am certain that the political leaders of whatever party you are or do align with and the political leaders of whatever party you don't align with are in need of a savior, just as Caesar Augustus and Quirinius were. Governors and kings need a savior, and also Joseph and Mary need a savior. We're introduced to them together here in Luke chapter 2. We saw them uh, a little bit in Matthew a couple of weeks ago. You know about Joseph and Mary. They were just ordinary, upright, God-fearing, tax-paying citizens like you and me. Well, maybe they weren't quite so ordinary. They were betrothed. That's more binding than our current day engagement. And Mary was pregnant, which would have been would have suffered the death penalty in those days, and yet she wasn't pregnant by Joseph. She was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She had never known a man sexually and intimately. And she had been told by the angel that the baby would be Christ the Lord. I mean, other than that, they were just like us. <laughs> Computers would have been handy then. TurboTax software would have made it a lot easier to register for paying taxes and to travel all the way to their hometown, but that's what the decree was. And Joseph and Mary needed a Savior. All parents, expectant or existing, need a Savior. I wonder when Mary knew that the child that she delivered would soon deliver her. We see hints of her wondering about that in this text. Look in verse 19. After the shepherds had told them what the angels had told them, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then verse 34, Simeon announces to her, your soul will be pierced with a sword. And those of us who know the scripture, I think, like me, your minds will go to Christ on the cross when his side was pierced with a sword as his mother watched. And surely then her soul would have been pierced with a sword as she saw her beloved son die, perhaps understanding that he died for her sins. But they didn't completely understand verse 48. She says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching for you with great distress. But then again in verse, uh, and, then, and then again in verse 50, they didn't understand what he told them when he said, I have to be about my father's house. Then in verse 51, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I think, like many of us, she was beginning to understand and had difficulty understanding. She saw who this Christ was and didn't understand who he was, even like his disciples, and sometimes like us. But parents, ordinary or extraordinary, need a Savior. And then verses 8 and following, we see these shepherds. Shepherds need a Savior, as do all workers why were shepherds chosen to hear this good news? They were pretty ordinary folk. They were ignored in their day. As someone said, they weren't exactly outstanding, except as they were outstanding in the field with their flocks by night. 
For seven years, I worked for a janitorial service. Nancy thought she was going to be married to a janitor, and I didn't feel particularly bad about that. But janitors in our day maybe are like shepherds in their day. They're needed, but ignored. And you might say, well, it's easy to see that these shepherds needed a savior. They don't have the education, the money that we have. But laborers, workers of all stripes, need a savior. In Australia, it's cool to train for a trade. I actually liked that. It was very easy for a young man or a young woman not to go off to university, but go to trade school, learn a trade, uh, finish that after a three- or four-year apprenticeship and have money in the bank after the four years that their, or three years that their friends who went to university had debt in the bank, debt uh, to their account. But even though it was cool in Australia to be a tradie, a chippy, or a sparky, they still need a savior. And white collar workers, professional workers too, need a savior. It may seem that they have it nice, with it, they have it all good with a nice car and a nice home, a nice job, but they still need a savior. Shepherds and workers of all sorts need a savior. And then we see in verse 22 and 24 that firstborn children need a savior. This baby who was born, Christ the Lord, was taken to the temple, probably at about three months old, and an offering was made for his purification. And we think, wait a minute. This was Christ the Lord, Jesus, the eternal Son of God. He had no sin. And yet as the firstborn, dating all the way back to the Passover, when God took the lives of all the firstborn of the Egyptians and the angel of death passed over the firstborn of the Israelites, God told his people that the firstborn's life is mine. And so the firstborn of the flocks was offered as a sacrifice and the firstborn of a human child was redeemed with a price. And so firstborn children need a savior, as do secondborn and thirdborn and eighthborn and ninthborn. I don't know if we have any ninthborns here. But then we see others who need a savior, two old saints, righteous, uh, devout Simeon there in verses 25 and following. And Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the comfort ye, comfort ye, my people of Isaiah 40. You may have heard that refrain in Handel's Messiah. It comes from the word of God. And he was waiting for that comfort to take place. And Jews today continue to wait. I came across some years ago a Jewish sermon from a number of years ago, from 1843, in which the announcement was made that we wait for the consolation of Israel. The Southern Baptist Assembly a few years ago in their general assembly made it a point to pray for the salvation of the Jews and the moral outcry that followed was resounding. How dare they think that they're better? This is spiritual genocide. And yet this old Simeon knew better. He knew 
that he needed God's salvation. And he rejoiced when he saw the Savior. And he said, God, you can dismiss me now in peace. I have seen your salvation. I have held the Savior in my arms. The devout Simeon needed a Savior, and righteous Anna needed a Savior too, this other old saint. Some of your English translations, there's a little bit of of confusion as we translate from one language to another. Was she an 84-year-old widow, or had she been a widow for 84? Neither of those are impossible, though 84-year-old widow seems the more likely. Either way, she was an old woman. I mean, shouldn't she have been in an old folks' home? No, she too was waiting for the Lord's redemption. And when she saw the Christ, she announced to all who would listen, all who were waiting for the Lord's redemption, righteous Anna and devout Simeon needed a savior. And lots of other churchgoers, if you will, too, those who were in the temple, all who would listen, who were waiting and looking for the redemption of Israel, the announcement was made to them that the Redeemer is here. So we see that aged saints need a Savior, and other churchgoers, but also boys and girls growing up, need a Savior. I'm sure you've done it with your kids. We did. We now do it with our grandkids. You know, how big are you? I'm this big. They hold their hands up. I'm this big. And we always tell them how big they've gotten, how strong they are. And that's what we want. That's what we expect. That's what happened to this baby who was born Christ the Lord. He grew and became stronger. He grew and increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. As you pray for your children, those of you who are parents of those who are still in your home, And as all of you pray for the children of this church, both the young ones and the older ones, pray that. For they need a Savior, and so pray that they would not only grow big and strong, but they would grow in the wisdom of God. And they would have favor with God, and they would grow in the favor of God. For they, too, boys and girls growing up, need a Savior. And if you're taking notes, I don't think this next one is in your notes. I added it later. Religious leaders there in verses 46 and 47 need a savior. They listened with amazement at this 12-year-old boy as he questioned and answered the things of God. And we hear from time to time of ministers who get saved as they preach the gospel. In uh, in In my home church, my boyhood church, and an older godly elder, Ken. And Ken's testimony was that he had served for many years as an elder in a Presbyterian church. And then he signed up to be one of the people who did follow-up for a Billy Graham crusade that was coming to Indianapolis. I don't know what you think of Billy Graham crusades. I'm not here to advocate for or against them. But do know that they made an effort, perhaps maybe not at the beginning, but a consistent effort later to, to have some follow-up material and have people willing to do follow-up with those who professed faith. And as Ken was working through that follow-up material in preparation for the Billy Graham crusade that was coming to Indianapolis, he realized he wasn't a Christian, though he'd served as an elder in the church and he was converted 
And when I knew him as a young boy, he was a godly older man that memorized swaths of scripture. Memorized First Peter, presented it once at a family camp, dressed in what we might think of the garb of a first century fisherman. Religious leaders need this amazing Savior. I need this Savior. His birth was good news of great joy for me. And in him I have peace with God due to his favor on me. And you need this Savior too. You need this Savior too. Some get Jesus out for Christmas. And then they put them away with the decorations. Some are a little bit more religious and they get Jesus out for Easter too. And some, some are really religious and they get him out every week for Sunday church. But do not know him as Savior and Lord. As I'm getting to know you and you're getting to know me, I don't think that's true of you and Hope you don't think that's true of me, but it is worth asking the question, what about you? What will you do with this Savior? He is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah who was promised, whose saints waited for years and years and generations for his birth. And when he came, they rejoiced in God and in God's salvation. He is Christ the Lord the ruler, the king, the master, will you submit to his rule? There are really only two ways to live. You can live as your own king. And let me tell you this, you'll be a rotten king, even of your own life. And you really won't be serving just yourself as king. You'll be serving the evil one who seeks to devour. You can live as ruler of your own life or you can submit, submit in faith and repentance to his rule. He is Christ the Lord. He is the Redeemer. He came to save that which was lost. He came to buy back that which could not be paid. Will you rise with him or fall from him? As Simeon predicted, many would do one or the other. It doesn't matter if you're in a high place or a lowly job. It doesn't matter if you're the firstborn or the middleborn or the lastborn child. It doesn't matter if you're new parents or old people nearing the end of life. It doesn't matter if you're morally good, upright, tax-paying citizens. It doesn't matter if you're righteous, if you're religious or irreligious. Your lives and my life are forfeit. You need a Savior. I need a savior. Will you take him, Christ the Lord? And if you have, then rejoice in this good news of great joy. In the city of David was born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, you know the heart of everyone here. If there's anyone who is living in denial of their fear of death or who is living in the fear of death, might they know this Savior who became like us in every way except he never sinned. This one who was born, Christ the Lord, Savior of all who would repent and believe the gospel, might they come 
and trust him. Might they find him to be salvation for them. And Lord, for those of us who have, may we never lose the wonder. May we not get Jesus out for Christmas and put him up with the decorations. But may we day after day, with wonder and joy, rejoice that you, God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, save. And may we announce that good news to ourselves day by day, and may we announce it to all who will hear, some of whom might be those who are waiting for the redemption that Jesus Christ gives. And so, Lord, save. And, Lord, bless us who you have saved, both now and forever, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.